And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 656. Got a special one for you on a Monday morning. No coffee needed today, folks. The fireworks will be brought to your ears. No problem here. We're talking fantasy baseball, of course, to get you ready for the 2024 fantasy baseball season. In order to do so, friend of mine, friend of the show, you can find him everywhere. The Athletic, Call to the Pen, Betting Pros, much, much more, which he will plug away shortly. He's just came out once again with his MLB Top 6. 155 player sheet and much more involved there you can find that you also find this wonderful gentleman on twitter at john legaza mr big john stud johnny l how you doing my friend yo my man thank you so much the electric factory is definitely in session and of course for the listeners you know i just chewed this poor guy's ear off like a half hour before we started yo i'm so excited bubba i gotta just do it real quick babe i you know i'm pretty much in touch with the fantasy baseball community i like to think with the coolest side of it and you know, you you get respect, man. Your hustle is out there in public, like I, I mentioned. And you've treated us not only going from Toby to Bloom, the common denominator has been you. It's the podcasts are great, but watching you kind of grow as a player has been an added bonus to it. You know, it's not easy to put all your losses out there. I know from handicapping to have to lose, it like sucks, man. Sometimes you want to bury and you don't, you know, you're fully transparent out there, and somehow our crazy paths have crossed. This is going to be awesome. I can't believe we're so close to baseball. Thanks for popping the ranks, everybody. Yeah, check me out on Twitter. Everything streamlines you. I've been doing nothing but promoting the stupid thing. But all kidding aside, I put a ton of work into it. I let you see just the back end of it, the data stuff. And one of the things I get a lot of is, man, betting and the fantasy stuff, how do you have all the numbers so readily accessible? And my sheets that I build have been a, a big part of it. So I made sure to share them with you. And I hope you enjoy them, man. Yeah, no, they're great. Uh, is, was this what your three of these for you? No, no, this is just the second year. Second year, sorry. So this is just a, no, no, no. It's all good. It's, it's supposed to be five hundred. Yeah, I know. Again, okay, watching you grow. But as you up. operate, like, does everything just stay where it's supposed to? No, we got to go no better way. and better. That's the big jump no way. way. That's uh, what I find is, and I've had this experience because they, I had did a five hundred top five hundred for the athletic a second half. You're never going to be happy because it's a it's a fluid thing, mm-hmm. right? Information is always changing. It's not flip flopping when you change your mind with pertinent data. It's called critical thinking. So you have to just hit a point where you say that's it. I'll also warn people because I get this a lot. Although I have found it works for me, and have had people come along is my rankings. All right, at the very top, they're kind of chopped up as far as positions, but then they're not. They're in clumps, so you don't really take the overall. At its face value, understanding that, you know, I'm looking into it's time to get an, an ace. So you're going to have, you know, the 12, 13 guys there all together where the next infielder, yes, he's 20 spots lower. But if you just move him up one spot for infielders, he would move up a bunch. So understanding rankings and how to use them, it's like projections. You know, you can't just take them on their face. You have to know how to use these things. I found it's been really helpful for me and for other people because they say, well, I sit down. And this actually helps me draft a team opposed to just he's better than him. Hard to compare apples and oranges that we're forced to do a lot. You know? Yeah, hundred percent. This, this sheet has everything, all the stats. It's basically FanGraph brought to one um, one spot for you, and more. FanGraph Savant to put them all together. Yeah, and some it, of the advanced yeah. stuff. Really hard to. Steve. It can be very difficult to combine these things. And especially the, the key to the sheet is everything is conditionally formatted. I got to do a, a quick hat tip to pull hit a Rob Dip, man, because I used to format them by raw total. 
you know, that's just like the standard option to numerically kind of format these things where now all of my stuff is formatted by percentile. So the color coding is the top 10th percentile where if one player runs away with a certain category, they kind of steal all that dark ink if you're familiar with this stuff, right? Because that's what we're looking for, the Christmas tree, right? And all the things that people refer to. <laughs> but I have found, have to tell that's a, it's really the best way to look at it because changing it immediately highlights where some players fall. We're going to get into some of it in particular, the disciplinary stuff. Yep. Bubba really helps you understand that you, you and Bloom have been on ball percentage, right? I say on my show all the time, ball percentage greater than signed walk percentage. Mm-hmm. The same thing with strikeout percentage. Yes, it's important to know. Aggressive in the zone, how much swinging is going on? What is the contact like? What is the chasing like? Yep. Right, so to understand the, the underpinnings, I feel like it's really kind of helped me elevate my game as an analyst, but also as a player, you know. We mentioned it before. I happened to take down one of these MEQs. So I'm going to the main event. Had to talk to my man, Greg Ambrosius, said we can credit it and roll it into a Champions League. So had to yeah. do, Toby. Second the, mention, you know. I'm going. You're going, you're going to the Champions League? The cha- no, I, 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 I'm going. I, it, was, it was so funny because the day that Toby, you know, or the Champions League account, is what I call it now, Toby's account, um, tweeted oh, out. He's doing a good job with that. He's man. doing. I was like, he's keeping up hardcore on that one. Like he's tweeted more in the last three weeks than he had in the last three years. So watch out. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it was really funny because you signed up and uh, Draft Cheat signed up the same day, like bang, bang, like right next to each other. And I told uh, I, I texted Bloomfield. I'm like, dude, if John and Pete are two of the. Th- 15 at the table i will fly to vegas i will fly to vegas and just watch that live auction because the fireworks that will take place at that table will be an electric factor now it's funny casey this is something again that goes to your style and how you appeal to different audience members but also different analysts right you have a lot of entry level people on which again so many of us in the industry really respect man it's really great you find great people and elevate them you know you do are like the rising tide which is awesome. There's always a lot of Twitter street talk about, you know, NFBC and the, the moniker for being the best. And if there's like an arrogant side to it, yep. which I think there is, but I think that's well, okay. Like, I think yeah. if you are going to be great, you should want to be great. You should challenge everybody. And I, I actually think now because the Champions League is a single entry yep. format, I don't want to hear it anymore. Like, this is it. This is this is this is the main event, right? Like, quite literally, this literally is the marquee event. event. Is really, what I should have said. Am I over my skis because I'm participating? Like, I think I'm going to get the floor mop with my face, probably. But I feel like there's there's nobody outside of that circle should be talking about being the best, especially after they run the actual Champions League. You know? Yeah, next year when they draft in Vegas yeah. and do the whole shebang. It's going to be wild. It's going to be fun to see. I'm stoked, man. I haven't drafted any of them yet. I'm really nervous. You got any tips for me? You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about – a lot of people seem like they've, they've pushed through them. I was thinking about maybe waiting on my draft champions. I, maybe heard... doing one of the last express drafts even because mm-hmm. I feel like those force mistakes – I don't know if anyone sat down for a 50 round, 50. Oh, that's like a five hour draft. Oh, you got a sar on your arse. Man, it's crazy. You're like, 
you got to get up and like stretch and stuff. It's 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 actually hard. You kind of run out of music and stuff. Trying yeah. to get too drunk. Like at somewhere. a blackjack table in Vegas, you need a back massage while you're sitting yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Well, those stuff. are the good clubs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I was talking about. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I think waiting could help because injuries, more signings. Like that's a good one. So many things that have taken place that people had already drafted them. Like maybe they picked Kyle Bradish. Like it's only one out of fifty, but still. That it what in the end is you know draft champions depth because something again you talk about all the time you're an early drafter you you address this actually quite often we all know prices move but how you have to adjust to it like you liked player at three hundred players now two hundred yeah and yeah, there's a lot of that like. on the last day right yeah. all the injured players they're all filtered to the bottom and yeah. every pick that gets removed pushes everybody up hundred percent so I'm. Fighting with that now, I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but like, I was wondering, no. what, like, what do you think? We're just boys shooting, right? Yeah. Like, is it worth the value? Because I'm going to be leaving quite a bit of value on the table. That's the a million dollar question, basically. Is is the juice worth the squeeze type scenario? And I, th- I don't know. Like, I've I've enjoyed my early drafts, but like I said, like you you mentioned, is they've changed. Like, the, I'm, I'm in my last DC right now. I'm in it. I'm halfway like around 32 now. And it's a million times different than the first one I did. Like, Would so you feel complete. like your teams have improved forward-looking or gotten worse because of the changes? They've potentially gotten safer because the value is – because, Yeah, it's a very good thing because the value is leaving. So you're not sitting there going, oh, okay, I'll take my chance here on so-and-so. Uh, they either moved up now where I don't want to pay for them or I've realized like I'm a dummy for trying to take that value because I don't really like the player the way I thought I liked the player two months ago. As the more research we've done in draft season, a lot of that has changed and kind of sculpted where I plan on going in fab season as we are almost in March for crying out loud, which is just crazy yeah. to think about. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at on though. That's why I kind of want to stop doing them. Uh, I've been itching to get in OCs like every night and I walk away from the computer. I walk away every time going a little bit longer. So yeah, that, that, that's where I'm at on those where I could see the waiting just to get a, a safer, more put together field of fifty, right. but uh, that value could definitely disappear. Even like like Noel de Marte, he keeps creeping up now that everybody keeps talking about him. I love him. Wait, creeping up? Slowly but surely, like high, like a better, like I've cheap. been backing off, but not because of the price. I keep hearing he got hurt. There, they came out with a report over the weekend. Now is that, that that okay? That's what it was. People were on him, and then people slowly started coming back. Then they were on him. Then it slowly came back with a, a hamstring injury. But then they came back. He he came into camp this weekend, and he's he's expected to be good to go. Yeah, that you know we love our Reds. Oh yeah, they've been Reds. really really difficult for me. I've had a I've had a really difficult time. The playing time situation is really no surprise, right? The fact that we might get a everybody plays five and a half out of seven. Yep, and that no one ever wants to admit that that everybody kind of takes a hit. Because in this new age of analytic baseball, especially with players that can move around, yeah, it's a long season, guys. Yep. You don't they, they don't need to press them, right? Why would you? Everyone wants to get rid of India. Like he was good. He's very serviceable. Like he's very does it make very a good. lot of money? He's the kind of guy you want on a baseball. Yeah, team. they just got him to an extremely you know? cheap deal too, which is crazy. Two year deal yeah. for a very yeah, affordable. It's a, perfect, it's a perfect example of how fantasy players try and push like their preferred outcome on the real. Oh. World, you mean, you mean biases like come into play on this? Biases come into yeah. play on fantasy? No, but I am worried. Like, I don't know because for me, and this is what it really confused me about the Candelario move. Who I've kind of been a Candelario guy. Oh, for I love candy, candy, man. Yeah, yeah love late, you. you know, the one drive rate was always so great. Yeah, solid mm-hmm. contact with swing path. 
the we were hoping the park was really suppressing him. He's okay. But I felt I feel like he might be my odd man out right now. But he's yeah. the guy that got brought in and got paid, so you can only assume the Reds will pay nobody. He's going to play. That's what I'm, yeah, I'm with you. And that's the funny thing is when they signed him on thing, okay, they paid him. Okay, this is this is the guy we can count on, right? I was 100% with you. The, and then as we've gone on, like you start hearing reports out of camp, and obviously reports are reports until proven otherwise, like we got to see it type thing. But it's all we got right now. And you want to try to be ahead of the curve. So you see the reports, and they're saying, okay, we want to play India X amount of days at DH, second base, first base. We want to play McLean at, at second base, third base. We want to play Marte here. Candelario is going to play here. We want CES to DH or play. Like, they have all these things out there. Steer is playing everywhere. And it's like, what in the world are we supposed to do Who's every day? Who plays every single day? It you think feels anybody? like Steer almost, which is the craziest thing is out of it all. Like, he might just be stuck in the outfield and then randomly play the infield. Like, he might just be stuck in a corner outfield spot out of all these guys. I thought maybe Friedel is like an everyday guy. He I've been out. treating Matt McLean as an everyday. Yeah, I'm with you there. Guy. Yeah. Other but than that, it's not. It's really tough for me. Dude, CES starts on like I don't know 17 teams. I'm not really looking at it. Might be the right now, he's playing first base every day for the Giants. Like, yeah, dude, there's a lot of teams. He's they they would quite literally find a spot for him, and you might even say the same for Fraley. Who when he let this guy lose, he goes crazy. He's so good. And now again, he doesn't he doesn't really have a spot at all. So some of these picks are going to be huge windfalls, I think. But I guess it's enough about the Reds. They're really, really no, no, it's a it's really a fun well. topic, real quick. And Samolski, Eric Samolski in the chat saying Bell came out and and Heimer is every day, right? Bell said that, but at this in the same quote, I I, I do believe yeah. Heimer plays pretty much every day. I believe that we kind of both do since they paid him. But Bell also they said he's gonna play first and third base, but they also said that India. Incarnacion are both going to play first. They also like they, so it's, it's it's just one of everyone's those playing like, everywhere. Everyone yes, is playing exactly. everywhere every day. It's low pit softball. We have ten positions. He's rolling That's out nine use. That's it. Yeah, it yeah. Know. Everyone's got seven different gloves. We'll figure it out. It's we'll Great American out. Small Park. So since they score more runs, we get an extra fielder, and um, that's that's how they're going to do things. Yeah, but, but the offense should be really, really explosive. In the end, though, what you know, we can never speculate these things. But we say like six man rotations all the time, and the the, the Reds' offensive rotation almost. Falls into this category. Yeah, injuries always happen. Yep. These things always seem to kind of work themselves out at one point in time, and um, so that that's where the Reds' conundrum is: is do you do you sit there and get concerned with the potential just what the f is going to happen out here, playing time wise, or do you say, hey, I really trust this guy's skills. I like where he's getting drafted. It might suck for like a few weeks, but eventually it's all going to iron out. That's the name. Be ahead of the curve in that regard. You know? Yeah. No deals. No deals, man. You got you. You have to get a bargain if there's perceived playing time risk, especially out of the gate, man. That's that's a, that's a killer. Early on, I, I definitely have CES penciled in as a starter somewhere on a draft champion team. That that dog ain't gonna hunt. <laughs> that dog ain't hunting. So I, you need already need to find a replacement for. I wouldn't call it a premium pick, but that's a pick that you need to start. You know, you were hoping you were going to get six months. Forget six days. Because okay, let me, let me the ask Reds you. are going to be really frustrating. I think yeah. it's a. There's going to be spots that. They're let me ask you. DFS this. team, man, it's a prop betting team. Oh, you know? it's an amazing DFS team. Yeah. There's a hundred percent with you there. So let's just say CES for a minute, because uh, I'm looking at OC ADP now. I'm off of DC for a second. Um, OC, they in February they've done 19 OC drafts, and CES is, has an ADP of 164 right now, and you're drafting 360 players in theory. Um, CES is the 
16th first baseman off the board. Again, 12-team league. Is this a little more palatable for you, or is it still like, hey, we don't know what we're going to do with them? Because in theory, again, this is the theory where you have to see if there's perceived value or not. If he becomes the everyday first baseman, I think we all can agree he's much better than the 16th first baseman off the draft board. Yes. See, this is where the fun, this is where the puzzle, this is where the puzzle is there. And this is is something that's funny. I know myself, Matt Williams, talk about it too. And when you're doing, trying to come up with bets, you know, they actually put your money on right then and there. You scratch your chin a third time, you're probably better off leaving that bad boy on its own. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I wanted to bring get some just a, just some context for it. like who's he going around? Yeah, I got it yeah, right it's here. Still so early, even Alex Bohm's going in front of him. Vinny yeah, P's going Bohm's after him. right Reds. there. Like, would you have Hoskins or CES? Yes, I probably have Hoskins. But it's funny you mentioned Morte. Nova Morte's right there. Like, then there's interesting outfielders like Riley Green and Jaron Duran, both guys that I like that could potentially lead off and could track for it's hard. You can never project anybody for 700, but who's going to get there? The leadoff guy or everyday player, you know, is going to be the one to do it. So I just really have try. I have a real hard time pushing my chips in. And again, it's, it's not so much a skill thing, although looking at their, our tri- you know, handy dandy sheets here, yep. there are some pretty serious flaws, right? In the disciplinary profile, hyper aggressive, Right, so strand hyper aggressive, seventy four percent swing, 53 percent swing overall, seventy four percent zone swing. So, those are probably in the top like fifteen percentile, but it's a thirty nine percent chase, only six percent walk, nearly fifteen swing strike. The chase rate is worrisome on its own, when combined with being that aggressive. That's a problem that needs to be fixed, right? When he gets it, when he gets it. 84% zone contact, which is okay. You're probably slightly below average there. The damage is legitimate, right? Totally. 48 hard hit, double-digit barrel, 10% blast rate, 460, X Wobicon. Mm, bacon. But, man, I'm worried. Because how do you lose plate appearances? <laughs> Being overly aggressive and striking out. So, like, that, when we, you're right, we're talking about the underpinning, creating the I call it popping the hood or the you know underpinning statistics, peripherals, whatever people want to call them. When you go from the telescope to the microscope, that's the kind of stuff that combination that gets me worried. Right. Yep. You know, yep. he's up there to hack, and we like that in our power hitters. Yep. But there are a group of power hitters that have that without the chase, right? That was the thing that I was mentioning before when I said you can't just allow K percentage to stand on its own. You have to Click a little bit further, right? The optometrist, better or worse, click, 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 click. They don't just say, Can you see the board? You go, Yeah. And they go, oh, Okay, good. Have a nice day. And okay. so they want to get it as good as we can. So there are power hitters and they're going later and they yes, don't have playing they're, time. They're, there definitely are. There definitely so are. I'm, I'm talking myself like all the way out. You know, yeah, you are. They are. And I'm just glad we're having this conversation because I've like, I love the profile of the potential, I guess, of Encarnacion Strand. You've mentioned some of the, the the swing and miss chase things that are very concerning, of course. In my brain, I say he's young. He hit 270 last year, which is great to see in a first trip through. Um, you know, if people believe in X stats, I know it's a very controversial subject at times. He had a 268 XBA, which pretty much says his average was kind of kosher, which is good. Um, and it's just it's just one of those things where a full season, even if he hit like 255, there's 35 to 40 home run power in that bat. And but that's the that's the 700 OPS yeah. versus lefties continues. 
those are going to be the two or three days he sits. Yeah, true. Good point. So then what I want to ask you, this is where we start using the sheet, and I want to throw this out to the – if anybody's listening live, which I know some people are, feel free to drop names in because this show is just full willy-nilly, and we're just going to have fun here. So if you guys got players you want to talk about, bring it on. Yeah, Eminem some... freestyle. Just toss us yes, at it. You know? It's going to be fun. But when yeah. looking at your sheet here, there is a player going right above Encarnacion Strand that shares a lot of similar disciplinary traits to CES. But when you look at one Jake Berger – who a lot of people are interested in, he has an ADP of 152, going slightly in front of CES. But again, uh, you mentioned the the, the, um, the strikeouts, the chase rates. There's a lot of where where CES is color-coded green, we got a lot of burger. Like there's almost a similar color-coding going on here. But we saw burger increase tremendously when he went to Miami because he was out of that hellhole that was Chicago. And uh, the power was, was is in that ballpark. He hit for a better average in that ballpark. So what are you seeing now when you look at Berger's profile, and does he interest you with an ADP around 150 right now? Now, that's a, I have drafted a ton of Jake Berger. Yeah. You and I have also a different position, guys. which changes a lot of things. He's super valuable at Underdog, I think. He's, uh, he, yeah, he's, he's almost free. He's almost free at Underdog. Yeah, if there were like three – because remember, it's only 20 rounds. So if there were three or four players that you're circling, foundational pieces, because of the price, Berger's like a smash from the dog. He's also a really good – Cub, right? So excellent, excellent, excellent cub. Too many strikeouts, not enough walks, 41% chase rate, which is awful. 83 zone contact, 17 swinging strike, 72 zone swing, 54 swing. I mean, this is like the Spider-Man, Jeff. I would argue the raw power is much better, significantly better, right? So, man, 17 barrel, 11 blast. And now where does he really differentiate himself again on the handy dandy sheet? The pull rate is through the roof, man. Go. Through the absolute roof. 49% pull. This is also something I know, shameless self-promotion incoming. But because of people like myself, I've been writing about this at The Athletic for a while, because of people like Rob DiPietro and others, very sharp people, pushing pull power to the fore. I found I've added something super useful that really isn't handy anywhere. So I'm using pulled fly ball line drive per PA. I have a little section on the sheets, nine 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 on one time, you know, all season. But just really see the percentage because we may get into some of them too. When you're talking and filibustering, I'll find somebody that you're going to say the power is unreal. We have people do that. The pull rate is low and like the fly ball is low, but the pull fly ball per PA might be high. When they elevate, it's pulled. And that's the key. That's really the key. 100%. So back to Berger, the pull rate it is through the roof. The Maxi V over 118. Dude, this is tippity top. Oh, yeah, cream of crop. 14% pull fly ball per PA. Through the roof, my man. 20 pulled home runs. Guys, just outrageous, but what else? Every single day he's going to play. Every Bingo. day. That's he's the only player on the roster, I think, that's not a middle infielder, right? He's the only guy that doesn't They, they have a slew of middle infielder Spider-Man gifts on that yeah, team. Yeah. And they, yeah, quarter right. infield's okay. And no, the funny thing is the bench has more of them also. Like yes. There's more of those guys on the bench, right? Vidal Braun and Xavier Edwards. Like, It'd be like the old school I know you see, the old, old Adam West Batmans when they all, like all the Riddlers or whatever, they all dress up in the same goofy outfit. If they all came out in the same outfit without a number on them, we would not know who was who. It's, it is crazy. <laughs> and uh, it actually, it's funny, I spun myself into a draft champions web trying to corner like the Miami, and I, I think that team's a loser. It's like Birdie and Edwards, all these guys that really might do nothing for me or not enough of it. Anyway, Berger, 
is going to be one of those guys yep. to the pull fly ball stuff. Because what I found useful, and now that you've seen it, I think I put comments on it to not make it too confusing. But right, we want to know how many pull fly balls. Yep. We want to know what percentage of plate appearances they happen in. I happen to put the average in OPS on them, although I found they're kind of not so useless, but whatever. The total home runs, then what percentage of the pull fly balls went for home runs? And then what percentage of pull fly ball home runs of the total? And that's big. The, that last one. It's a nice call. Not really there. It's not really there. So, like, he's doing it all over. There's a lot to like about him. And again, you know, he's the kind of bat you know, I wish you wouldn't chase so much. Yep. But I feel like you could easily put him in for 600 PAs or more if he stays healthy. I don't know how you hold him below 35, 38 ding dongs. Like that's. I, I agree. That's like, and you're you're a betting man. I haven't I haven't delved into. It. I was going to start doing it here in the next few weeks, like looking at some props and everything, especially an underdog. But um, you know, Berger's got to have some nice odds for maybe a long shot home run king in the NL. I'm not saying he Ooh. can get there, but what if he ran into 45 and someone else hit the IL? Unfortunately, you're so like, there's a there's a window where Berger is in the conversation. That's all. I have you seen say. that number? No, I'm just. I said I have to look into it, so I've not looked into these yet. But he's on my list because I think Ooh, he's got that potential. Have that he's he's on that potential because while you look at that, I did want to bring up. Uh, Basically, I'm going to say first half, second half splits in general because most of the second half was with um, Miami. What I'd love to see, 279 average in the second half compared to 220 for Berger. But I want to look at the plate skills real quick as I pull them up Oh, he had one more positive also that I missed um, with somebody like CES. Berger had a minimum 800 OPS left-right. There you go. Yeah, Which is always huge, you know. That's not what I was looking for. Um, Yeah, no, that is tremendous. So – yeah, you see this projection? Yo, I, I, a little another teaser. I spoke to Mason today. He's doing Potapalooza. It's coming up this weekend. Yep. It's me and Derek Hardy. One, just the two of us. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's gonna be oh, it's gonna be a rager, dude. So we're gonna do projections and betting and oh, just everything. And I know because I spoke to him off air about this stuff. I go right at Derek. Right. You get so few time to get at the person, the progenitor. Right. And he's yep. very cool. You know, when people are arrogant, he smokes them online. But if yep. you present like a rational, valid data, yeah, talk to you. he's the yo, he's the best guy ever. So, Derek, you got some splendid to do, man. Dude, 577 PAs, which again, I feel like might be a little short, but uh, yeah. 28 home runs. Yo, yeah. Derek Hardy. No. Maybe I should be thank him because aside from like Jason Martinez, he's oh, like one of the most powerful or influential people yep. in fantasy baseball. If I were coming up over to Mount Rushmore, it'd be those two. Eno Saris would have to be. Eno has sure a big, fourth big pull. Is. But so like, right, truly influential people, people that could straight up like move the needle immediately. Yep. That's got to be a big part of it. Because if that 28 said like 34, he'd probably be going like 50 picks early. You know, 100%. 30 picks early. So, yeah, I'm all about Berger. I think, again, you have to be willing to push up against authority and without yeah. thinking you're smarter. Like, yes, Derek Cardi is an order of magnitude at least smarter than I am. But that doesn't mean that I can't come up with a good counter. So, me and you, I think, are, are right on the money in Berger. I think he's low. 
yeah, I think he's very low, and I'm going to keep looking at some things on him. But uh, let's move on to this next one. We do have a few few names starting to pop up in the chat here. Uh, yeah. Jimmy D, let's go back to, to Cincinnati, John. Uh, Jimmy D wants to know about Spencer Steer, which is a fair one because we kind of talked about how he might be one of the guys that yeah, actually yeah. has a full time gig. And it's weird. I thought like in I thought in DC season he was had a high ADP because he's first base, third base, outfit eligible. So I'm like, okay, that's going to boost him up in a DC. It makes a lot of sense. Well, in OC so far, in the first 20 OC drafts, he still has a 111 ADP, like around Nick Castellanos, Andres Jimenez, um, Seiya Suzuki, who I love. But uh, Spencer Steer is just sitting there at a, at a pretty price tag, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like here. I, I you know, I had – it was very long money, and I was really up against it because Corbin Carroll had already established himself but was still a rookie. I bet on Spencer Steer to be rookie of the year last year. Like, it was like 150 to 1. And a lot of times for rookie, you just gotta get the playing time, you know. And the odds were crazy, so there's a lot. There's really a lot to like, right? There's a lot to like. Again, not to you know beat the drum in this stuff, but I think it is important from a like a stylistic approach when we look at these players. One of the reasons I like the sheet so much, aside from you know it's so much in one spot, is it this allows me from taking one stat and running too far with it, right? There's a, there's a yep. lot there. But you also have to think of it in – and I talk really fast. I think really fast. I use things to kind of slow me down. So it's, everything is kind of compartmentalized. You can, you can also see I have some compulsive tendencies when you look at that sheet. You can tell whoever made that is – you know, straightens their pencils before they sit down at the desk. But you want – I like to look at – surface stats are okay. But disciplinary basket, right? And then we kind of went into that stuff. K, walk, chase, contact, swing, swing, strike. Elevation. Right? Do you put the ball in the air? How often do you pull, put the ball in the air? Also something I talk about in my betting and pitching stuff all the time. Not all fly balls are created equal, and we have to be careful when using fan graphs. That fly ball rate includes infield flies. So, like, be careful. Like, oh, man, just putting the ball in the air all the time. Sometimes really, really high infield fly rates, like Spencer Steer has, show an inability to get up the balls up in the zone. Right, so you we we have to be careful with that. Plus, they have a zero batting average. Right, those are all dead up straight zeros, man on base included. So where I'm going with this is the 43% fly ball that you see on the surface is a, a bit of cologne for the elevated infield fly rate because the underlying power metrics are really weak. Let's do one more lesson, KCB. It's an important one. 32% hard hit on fan graphs. 37% hard hit on stat cast. People, you got to understand the differences really quickly. Yep, big time difference. Fan graphs uses baseball information solutions. Mm-hmm. It's like a proprietary algorithm that has to do with hang time, but there's also a subjective element from what I understand. The idea being there's somebody kind of grading this. Yep. That's good. Like Nothing almost is- someone's opinion, essentially. The other side of it, though, and this is why I think the two of them, people often like to cite one. I have found you need to use them both. They're indispensable. They need to be used in combination. The other one is a raw 95-mile-an-hour metric, which while brilliant people like Russell uh, Pizza Cutter Carlton has talked about, the uh, Chamberlain also, direct correlation with exit velocity and slugging, which, which is why we like exit velocity so much. You got to be careful because, one, you could be smacking pop-ups right into the air. You could also be hitting... Ground balls, right? You're going to look up John Carlos Stanton's 190-mile-an-hour events. They're all into the ground. They're all outs. So, they're, again, they're not all created equal. Also, 
is 94.8 not hard hit, while 95.2 is? That's a great point. Okay, like, so we, that's we, really yeah. where, where this stuff, again, pulling the threads on, Matt, without getting too nerdy, just understanding the simplicity, right? That's an issue for me. Especially the balls, while 95 is a fulcrum, right, is a very important point where slugging takes off. It's not at 95 miles an hour, it's not, you know, it's not parabolic at that point. So we, I think a lot of the spear events are concentrated around that, indicating the 37, you know, 32, 37 is a very bad split, sub 7% barrel, 4% blast. Where does he make up for it? Stop me when you heard this one. It's pull power, 43.5% pull, but also more than 13% pull fly ball per PA, 18 of the home runs, 18 of the 23, so 80% roughly, were pulled. He's relying very heavily, Brian, on the ballpark and on the pull profile. So while I, I truly believe that's how you get to a floor that I do think is there, I think the 20 projected bat X home runs might be on the nose, right? Where, what was it? 20, 20, oh, 23. Yeah, All right. So maybe I'm even a little bit lower. Maybe I'm more like a, don't let 17 or 18 shock you. Cause I think yeah. the only way he gets there is pulling them. I don't have home and away home runs on me right now. If that's the thing, then you also may have your answer to a guy that, you could see kind of falling behind the pack. I got it here. Oh, here you got 10 versus 13. 10 yeah, the home runs are pretty run. evenly split. So it's a pull. Thing. He's yeah. a he's a pull he's a heavy guy. He's getting to yeah. that pull power. Those are all of the home runs, all right? So you like to notice that stuff also. You know, you and – guys, I love the bub and the blue stuff, man. It is so damn good, bro. You guys point out home run to barrel a lot of times, right? Something mm-hmm. you guys are on. But even that, right, You some guys almost – Deserve it, you know, and you could see it yeah. repeating. And some guys, maybe not. And I think, like, this is the next level to the projections. I'm not saying that they ignore this stuff. No. But I've been finding that it answers some of my own questions. No, 100%. So Spear, I think his versatility gets him in the lineup, like you said, almost every single day. But I don't know if there's, like, another level. I wouldn't really be looking for that, right? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. That's why I was surprised his ADP. I figured it would drop eventually, and it did not. But, um, yeah, it's interesting to say the least. I do want to ask you before we go on to other players here, we, since we're going to keep talking about this, uh, home run to fly ball, we already know, but barrel, home run to barrel, pull percentage, all that uh, pulled home runs, all that kind of stuff we're, we're highlighting in this. And I know it's something you tweeted about. You said it's a hot-button topic. I know it's been discussed quite a bit. One question I asked you on Twitter, and you know, Twitter is fun and all, but we can ask more of it on air and, and actually talk about it. How sticky do you think this is? Because I, I I know certain players, like you just mentioned, Steer, he just hits home runs when he pulls them. He did it at home. He did it away. It's what he does. Alex Bregman's done it for years. That's kind of who he is. Same with Altuve. Ballpark fits. They pull. It works. Isak Paredes has done it recently. Like, is that a sustainable thing? Didi Gregorius did it his whole career, if you look at it. Like, everything he did was pulled home runs when he went deep. But, like, we, we were, if we're going to start highlighting this more, which I think is a good thing to highlight – is it how relatable or how reliable can we use it to kind of think towards the future on each player besides saying it's case by case? Well, I think barrels have proven to be pretty sticky. Like I'm pretty yes. sure that's already. Yes, that is, that is correct. So we know that's a good place to start and anywhere that we can improve it. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah. So again, being pull heavy is really conscious. You can validate that also. 
Now, I love the fact that you, if you're coming up with stuff that ain't on the sheet, it means you're really like in the weed here. But that doesn't mean you're not going to find anything. Yeah. I would then kind of assert that we want to be looking for heat maps, right? Swing decisions on heat maps. Yeah. If the player's majority of swing decisions are inner half, run with it. That's it. It's conscious. It's conscious, and it's going on. Perfect. If you happen to find players that are maybe pulling outside or it's not a dead pull, then maybe you rate, not say raise, I shouldn't say raise a red flag, but just have the antenna up to keep looking. You know, for me, I'm kind of testing the barrels, right? Where I, I still want hard hit rates. You know, you want consistent hard hit rates more than a player that just may have destroyed all the mistakes they faced, yeah. right? Which could be like an outlying circumstantial answer to a great outcome without good underpinning stuff. Yeah, so I don't think there's like a black and white answer, but I do think it's sticky. Listen, I barrels of the J, barrels give me barrels, sticky. give me pull yeah. stuff. Yeah. Give it to me. No, it's great. That's what I worry is the single yeah. year, right? That's kind of where I was going. That's where I was going with that. But that's where I want to see the heat maps. Yeah. If you look at a player, especially if it's a new thing, then you should have the advantage of noticing that change, right? Like if a player jumps from 37% pull to 44% pull, like not only a marked change, but one that takes you into the, the stratosphere that we're looking for, you should see the decision, the swing. You just straight up, you go to StatCast, illustrations we'll bring up the box swing decisions gonna heat map the whole thing get little hex bobs the whole thing whatever you want if you see that move dude that's your indicator right there yep because they're saying uh you know off says where you hear guys say spit on it out of half eat it and now we're talking early count also so well on on savant you can do count by count heat maps if you want adjustment right well that's another really good one too is I'd like to know, dude, come on. I got, I'm busy, man. I don't have time for this. <laughs> yeah. uh, do those guys try and pull behind? Mm-hmm. Right? And are they effective? Because yeah. my worry would be with these, like, straight-up dead, dead, dead pull hitters, right? Like Berger. Yeah. If Berger falls behind, so I would imagine the majority of pitches Berger sees in two-strike counts are on the outer half. Yep. And I'm curious to see if he offers it those or just takes them for strike three. Right? That might be it, right? So you could see helping you use details that we don't matter to kind of build out a more thorough profile. But this is all really good stuff. This is how you get to the answer. Yep, 100%. Because I think they're there. Right? These behavioral trends specifically, like I said, you don't – pull to me is not an accident, right? If if you have the working theory that pull is a concept, pull is an approach, pull is a discipline, then it should be sticky. 100%. 100%. I like guess why there's just so many layers to, to breaking down players that we can go deep as we want, as shallow as we want. And it's just so many parts to it. Because even the part of, I think nowadays, um, everyone says, oh, a guy strikes out too much, this and that. And the times have changed. Times have changed in baseball. Like, you still don't want a guy striking out a ton. I'm 100% with you. Like, we talked about profiles earlier about the, you know chase rates. We don't want that. I'm 100% on board with that. But there's some of these players, because bringing it back to what you said about Berger, he might get behind an account and just spit on a pitch and take the strike three. So the strike rate really goes up. That doesn't mean he was it was bad. He's actually trying to stick to his guns that allows him to have 35 home runs. We want that in the end. That's what we want. So these like scenarios make it uh it's very tough because you know, five, six years ago it was very simple. Well, if he struck out over 25%, we don't want anything to do with him. Like, nope, throw him to the curb. That's changed. 
like some of these young power hitters, it's let's get free Willie at the plate and see what happens and, uh, and go. So it, it gets, it's a different era of breaking down. So I think going back to the barrels, the pulled home runs, all that kind of stuff is, is a big, big part of it. Yeah. I, I hope you, I hope you found it helpful to have it yeah, there. Cause hundred percent. I, I think it's great. Cause there's not one place for it anywhere. Really. Yeah, like you, know, you can go to Savant and kind of piece it all together. But yours literally has it all right. Yeah. There I can't compete screen. with any of these major providers and especially listen, you know, I'm like you, man, I, I'm into elevating people. You know, you, you see, you mess with Anderson's, his, his tableau board or Chamberlain's tableau. Dude, these things are so far out of my scope of understanding. Forget a different language. Like, I don't even know how to walk on that planet. But that doesn't mean they have right everything, right? We all kind of look to add our own value and things that help us. And I have found from a very selfish point of view, I use it all the time. I mean, I use it all the time. It answers so many questions. How do they get the sheet, by the way? What's that? How do they get the sheet, by the way? How do people get the sheet? What the fuck? That's the best question of all. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. It's the pin tweet. Again, I really hate hawking my own stuff. But in this age where, like, hardcore institutions are shutting down, if you do want to support, you know, your favorite analyst, favorite analyst, it's only 10 bucks for the whole year. Top, I ranked 655 guys in 30 tiers. We're now over 100 detailed write-ups. I really tried to keep them short and sweet. So they're they're under the like 300 words, but they are stat dense because that's what I do. And I want to validate. Sometimes I write words. And then I go back and fill it. Like, so if I say he showed great discipline with an ability for high contact quality, I'll fill in with all the stats that we love so much as you do it. And then there's CSV formats, there's cheat sheets. I did color-coded underdog ranks. If you're into that stuff, I, don't, I hate to be like this, but if you're playing underdog, it's worth the $10 on its own because uh-huh. you can I, – I constantly update them. At any time, you can download the CSV. If you're not tech-inclined, I could just email it to you. You just upload it. It takes two seconds. You literally click upload the file, and I filter out all the injured players, all the guys that you don't want that hurt you in that or in that system, all the late guys that you want to push up. Because I don't know, Casey, no one plays many formats as you, bro. Does anyone have a deeper player pool than Underdog? It's the strangest thing, no, too, because Underdog is the most shallow game. It's so annoying. There's 3,500 yeah. players on I it, say, bro. I say it with baseball. I said it with golf. I even told the guys on the show last week. Um, every time I finish an underdog draft, doesn't matter what 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 league, what what sport, I feel like there's so many players I still want to draft at the end. I went like, through what are we all doing? of them. What are we doing? I went through every <laughs> single one of them that might be viable. Because remember, I'm, I'm also anticipating market movements. We also know all of our content's about to become really popular in a couple weeks. Yep. You see those rooms start to fill, man, and oh, yeah. the guys that we like late. You know, not, we're not hit hard. You like Nelson Velasquez in the last round. He's not going to be going in the last round. He's been in the 17th round. And you may say, oh, big, big deal. It makes it, it's a very big deal. A very, very big it's deal. It's a very big deal. Yeah. So <laughs> I went in and f- I picked all the pictures and floated them up. So again, you know, it's a ton of work. I'm also doing a, I send out a weekly waiver wire email on the weekend. Most normal people do their stuff on Sunday. Yeah. So I'm just going to, you know, just to get everybody, keep them in tune for the year and, you know, we did really well. And back to back to back FSWA finalists. Yeah, you know. he did pretty good. He's not bad. Not bad stuff, <laughs> like so. that, that 250 gets you on a bus over here. <laughs> yeah, so go, go check it out. But uh, let's head to another player in the chat here from one Patrick Gifford. He says, would love some Adelise Garcia talking. It's a good one because you kind of mentioned him earlier in the show. 
Uh, Adelise right now has an ADP around 42 in the early OC draft. So when we're looking at your sheet, what's our takeaway from Adelise? Because he's always a guy that he's finally getting the respect this year. I'll say that much after year after year of production where he's getting drafted at least in the conversation of what he's done. But is this something we should continue to count on? What are the, what are we looking at here? All right. My man, Adolis, thank you so much. He is one of the reasons I'll be in the main event in the Champions League this year. We were super high on Garcia coming in. He was like a must draft at, at the right at the price, right? If we're, yeah. when I when guys are my guys, it doesn't mean I move them up too far. But it does mean you float them up a tier, make sure that you're coming home with them. He paid off big time again. So this is a perfect example of another flawed disciplinary profile. But when you kind of look underneath, it's a bit more encouraging. And this goes to what you were saying before with Burger briefly is, we want this guy's got 40 home runs stick. We want him up. We want him up. Now, he, here's the difference. The chase rate is viable. So, yes, the K rate is elevated at 28. But, 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 right, the big shaking butt, double-digit walk rate. So there is some patience with a really aggressive profile. The swing total is only 48 and a half, which is slightly above average. That's where the walks are coming in. But most importantly, dude, 74-3 zone swing is through the roof. That's how you draw it up. That's how you draw it up. You, If he came to you and said, oh, Skip, you know, I'm, should, we, should we cut down on the hat? No, we don't want to cut down on the whiffs. Those are the home runs. Those are the home runs. He's not chasing overly. A 33 chase is fine. The 14 swinging strike, again, it's all happening in the zone. The zone contact is very low. That's something we would like that we're not getting, but not to say you necessarily need it because it's all there, and then you just get, like, purely sexual power stats. You know what I mean? Like, there's it's basically, you know, baseball porn. 42.5 on BIS, 50% hard hit on StatCast. 16 barrel, 11 and a half blast, 467 expected Woba on contact. I mean, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to think there's many guys above that. You know, it's got to be a handful if it's that. Yeah, there's a couple of like part time guys. But yeah, it's like Otani and like Judge, you know, and like Trez. Not a lot of guys above that. It's all the best hitters, right? I use expected Woba on contact a lot. I think it's a great stat. I think the meme puts people off a little bit sometimes. But it's really important. And here's something to the ex-WOBA people. You mentioned the problem with X-STAT sometimes. Brian, this is one of the problems. Citing ex-WOBA has too much disciplinary noise mm -hmm. when you're describing contact. This is a contact statistic. Yep. Purely. It is a purely isolated contact statistic. Now, you have to remember, similar to barrel rate, it does not account for frequency. It's a little nerdy, but hopefully this stuff helps. Right, this is the Miguel Sano principle. You can have a hundred percent barrel rate. Yeah, you only had one batted ball event and a hundred plate appearances. You struck out ninety nine times, yeah. but you have a hundred percent barrel rate. That's where barrel rate fails. Right, we were talking about barrel mm -hmm. rate stuff. So that's where these things fail. But his frequency is palatable, and man, he just crushes it. And then, of course, you know, right, the all important pull profile is there. Twelve and a half pulled fly ball line drive per plate appearance, which is fantastic. 17 of the home runs came from it. I would argue the pull fly ball per home run at 21 for a guy with his power could be a lot. I was, was going to ask you, I was looking at this while you were talking, going, is this something we can maybe say he has more in the tank? Oh, 
<laughs> if he gets you another 78 of those, I'll bet my arse more than 17 of them go out. Yeah, that's, oh, what, yes. I was, that's, that's what I wanted to ask you looking at this metric this, here. Again, yeah. yeah, you never want to put guys over like 40 home runs because it's just a little bit much. I guess it's for Judge, maybe you make the exception. He's a 40 home run guy. You're right. And people were crying for regression before. And I was like, I think there's another level. We hit the other level. Now I'm not saying I don't think there's another one, but I think this is it. I was hoping we got a, we're going to get a few more bags, of mm-hmm. course. But if you're kind of seeing the maturation, I mean, again, you know, he's 30 which is not the end-all, be-all for running. But if you see this guy, he's freaking Adonis, bro. Like, you're up there jacking 40 bombs. Guy's always on. He's an easy pop for – you know, right, we like to use 200 runs and ribbies as a baseline for being excellent. I think that feels like the low – you know, I feel like that's the low mark. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah he, I really like, like Garcia again. I really like Garcia again, man. Well, this was well, really good, 825 minimum. Yeah, oh, split. Again, Derek Hardy, man, you got to explain it. Do I don't get it? Thirty-two homers. I just think I just feel like he's low. I think everything is there. I think everything is there. I'm with you. It's just the it, people. I guess people's biggest argument is speed right now. But looking at his overall profile in that power department, seeing like the home runs per barrel fly, pulled fly ball deal is just uh, it's wild. Wild seeing what could be with Adelise Garcia. There's some other names there that stood out as well. But let's get to some more of the listener fun here, and we'll go to well first. Ben Ted says Big John Stud. He's excited to see you in here. Um, but uh, your content Randy, with Ben is very good, also. By the way, I tell me, you. no, no lie, I mentioned it off air. I really did. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. We were talking about also how man, man is a good spot, really quick. Ben won a main event qualifier, NFBC, he parlayed it into a big overall finish. If there are any kind of let's say news, which is people that are maybe NFBC averse, right? Because I mentioned the attitude that comes with it, the swag, I get it, the reputation that's part of it. I would say this because I get this a lot. Entry-level players that have never played NFBC are not worried about, you know, the high price points. I get it, man. With the competition level of being minus EV, I get it. The main event qualifier is a main event copy. It doesn't have an overall, so it's a standalone. That's one difference. But it's 15 teams. The best players there is. A lot of the players are in the main event itself. And $125, which I don't like to speak for other people, and I know that can be a lot. But I would say you can split. And once we're... At 60-some-odd dollars, that's definitely fair for yep. six months of work. When you get to sharpen your teeth, I would definitely suggest everyone does learn the routine, see how good players maximize plate appearances, using the bi-weekly change for lineups, and really taking their game to the next level. And, I, you know, I, I won one too, man. Yep. And I was afraid. I was a point league player. I'm a, a high-level better <laughs> Getting into Roto because I love baseball so much, but never understanding the sweet science of it. And listen, I got my validation, man, and it was cheap. Yep. You know, and I feel really great about it. I, I'm that's my highest recommendation for people that want to get in is a buck twenty-five to play in the qualifier, split it with a friend. Yeah, and if you want to go cheaper, if you want twelve teams instead of fifteen, an OCQ is fifty bucks. Uh, you got yeah, that come going on. Yeah, that's you. great, man. What a great, yeah. what a great idea. What a great there's idea. Satellites all over the place. If you don't even want to qualify, you just want to learn the format. Like, there's a lot of cheaper ways to go about it. Um, we have Randy Leeson says uh, thoughts on Josh Lowe this season. We know Lowe last year uh, put up the 20 homers, 32 steals, in 135 games at 292. The, the, the stat line was great. Very good stuff. Projections have been pretty good. Depending on who you talk to, he should not get platooned a ton. Some say he might get platooned a ton. It all depends. But regardless, the skill set looked pretty good last year. We've kind of been waiting for that for some time. He has an ADP of 73 right now, John. 
So what are we thinking when we see Josh Lowe? Are we are we buying into this? Is this dude's like the breakout dude? Yeah, I'm looking at my write-up. He's inside the top 100. I actually got to it. And, yeah, I mean, it's funny. He's so toolsy. So those guys are always going to be a lot of fun for fantasy, right? Because we we saw it. What I, what I had written had to do with, like, three, yeah, so he finished as a top 30 hitter in only yeah. 500 plate appearances. 501 to be exact, but, man, that's – what's, you know, sexier than that? The problem is the platoon splits are just – they're kind of impossible to ignore. And that's the big worry, right? 30, 30% K against lefties. But I think it's worse than that. Like, they don't – if I remember correctly, they don't just allow him – so I wrote, sure, low bats, 188 with a 34 – and a half percent K and 51 WRC plus lifetime against South boys. That's <laughs> gross, but it's only 113 PAs, which again, we want to say, Oh, small sample, something that could correct, but it's over the course of years now. So we have a team that we know habitually is, you know, highly analytical and likes to platoon that has a player that kind of fits right into that mold. Yep. I'm the first one to say, man, I never want to write off players. He's, these are the most talented players in the world. Who the hell am I to tell this guy that he can't hit, you know, lefties after 112 PAs? But I feel pretty confident in saying you won't be able to hit them if they don't let you hit them, right? You yeah, can't hit them from true. the bench. Yep. And I think that's part of my concern is as much as I like Josh Lowe, and there, there, you know, there is, a, again, there's a lot to like there. The disciplinary stuff is pretty worrisome. He's one of those guys, highly aggressive, which is good. However, lots of swing and miss, but also tons of chase, a good way to find your way to the bench. The pull side stuff is not there at all, right? So you could forget about that. So that's normally what I'm looking for to build off of. Looking at projections, they're expecting a little bit of progression, even with more plate appearances, which is kind of, you know, which is tough, but again, understandable. The power metrics are not elite. 31 hard hit. 39 and a half on Savant, 11 barrels, seven blasts. But again, without the pull power and with the very low 81% zone contact, you could see where the power side doesn't repeat. Now, if you get caught without running in a market where I think outfield is shallow, lately there's been a lot of talk about outfield is deep. I don't share that. I'm not saying those people are wrong. We should draft to our own kind of inclinations. I'm not saying low is off the table. But when you gotta get him, there's there's red flags. I'm not looking to invite that stuff. But he's gonna he's gonna produce. You're gonna get some pop. You're definitely gonna get some speed. You know, it even looks like the average could be there because the speed, you know, could carry it. Though 360 BABIP is a little bit high, right? 330 mm-hmm. shouldn't shock you. So I like low. He's draftable, but he's not part of my ideal plan. And I'm kind of with you there. Like I was pretty much out on low to begin with, and the more I looked at him. I've been starting to kind of, depending on team build, been a little more interested in him. I guess the biggest thing for me is they did let him play more versus left-handed pitching late in the season, maybe because of injuries and whatnot, like Margot was out and other things like that. They bring in Johnny DeLuca. Is that the guy that's going to surplant him? Because it's not going to be Harold Ramirez. So it's like, if you look at the bench right now for Tampa, it's tough to see who gets uh, low out of the way. Now, still very possible. Like, I'm not going to say it's not. So it's kind of one of those yin and yang things, almost back to our CES conversation earlier. If you think Lowe plays a lot, this is pretty sweet. If you think Lowe's going to get platooned, yeah, Houston, we have a problem. So 
it, it's kind of a catch 22 with Josh Lowe and it's the risk first reward. If you want to take it, if it pans out, it's going to be a juicy, juicy pick at that price point. All right. A couple more we have here. This is from the Twitter sphere. Um, he's got two players. We'll start with the first one for Taylor Bauer. Give me the Cabrian Hayes breakdown, please. Let's talk about Cabrian because he finally did what we wanted last year, John, at the end of the season. He started elevating the baseball. Look at that. The power arrived for Cabrian yeah. Hayes. Now, is this something we're buying into this year with Cabrian Hayes? Because right now he has an ADP of 186, which seems like a gift if we believe the production is for real. Yeah, I've, I've been drafting Cabrian Hayes because I've missed on the Riley Devers, like the guys that I really like. I'm not crazy about Arenado. I can get to Bregman, but then again, those are just a handful of names. Mm-hmm. Right, so those obviously there's other teams drafting baseball players, and I've found if you don't love third baseman, I'm ending up further back. So Cabrini has been someone I liked. I was really into Noelvi Marte. I was one of those people that got pushed off with the injury because again, I don't want to go into the first week with an with a potential IL or a guy that might be held up or not have his reps. Now Marte really is a full go. I, I still like him a lot. But Hayes kind of doing it all, right? Doing it all. And it, not just the, the lift. Man, I, I got to see if I can – if you add to this, I could bring it up. But there was a real progression also. Right? Well, there was a the, massive elevation progression. Yeah, so the you know, it wasn't just year over year, which year over year is great. But to actually see In it season. really happening with the rolling averages and stuff, yep, you're going to get a lot. You know, again, the disciplinary profile is really, really good. He's an absolute contact machine yep. right so when we knew the hard hit rates again 48 and a half percent hard hit is excellent 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 and again the things we look for the first mention of standard deviation of launch angle yep. but that's also something that i've added to the sheet it's not to again overwhelm anybody but what in it briefly what it does it describes tightness launch angle tightness, meaning if you pop up a lot and ground out a lot, the, the ray, the spray is going to be very wide. Yeah. The, you know, the tighter the spray, the more it's really to me, we don't have these numbers on the hitting end. To me, it's the best indication of bat path, swing path that we can physically measure. Yeah. So again, 28 degrees is kind of like the, I'd say good, like where it's it's getting good. Anything above is getting too high. Anything low is really good. His is under 27. So 26 and a half is really good, and when you combine it with, and he has an ideal kind of launch angle. That's why his XBA is always so high, because there's an average LA of 13. So again, average LA, it's funny, there was a there was a minute that average LA was just getting totally, you know, yes. shit on nonstop. Yeah. Be, and I get it, because if you average pop-ups and ground-outs, you have a perfect look. That's yeah, where the tightness that. comes in. You look for ideal launch angles that also have tight windows. And that's where Cabrian Hayes is so excellent. I mean, this is a plus. So, like, I mean, there's – I don't even know if anyone else does this. 90 plus 92% zone contact plus 48% hard hit. You know, with that, all the ideal launch angle stuff is really, really good. I think – again, I don't have the rolling grass. I think pulling me have been part of it too. I'm starting to feel like that it wasn't just elevating, that the pull happened later on as well. Would it make sense? If you're going to get steals and average from third base, we mentioned growth as a fantasy player. I've been fine, man. Give me all the boring. 
just give me all the even if they're not overwhelming, give me all the five category dudes. Give me a guy that on the last day of the season when I really need it could get me a home run, could get me two base hits, could get me a steal. You know, and Cabrian Hayes is that playing every single day. Let's go. Yeah, I just looked briefly uh at Cabrian Hayes' chart here and um I'm trying to get it ironed out here for us. Uh, 2023. There we go. Just two single season. There you go, Bubba. All right. So yeah, he saw his pull percentage jump midseason, but then it came back down to kind of average by the middle of the season. So it wasn't all pull, but there was a good chunk of those pull. All right, single. Um, okay, maybe. Well, okay. So yes, okay. So. Right, the intra-year move, meaning right within the same year, the 2023 move, skyrocketed, came back down. In the context of the years before, th- this is the chart. I, I'm going to have something coming out about this. We're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive. It is a massive jump from athletic, previous seasons, though. Yes. We talked about approach. Jump. He's a perfect yeah. example of a, of a player yeah. that we want to look like. So throughout 2022. Yeah, I, I expanded all the way to 2021, and you can see it's a gigantic jump in 2023. Right. Oh, and in fact, for the, any traders out there or technical analysis people, right? So 2021, we kind of it started out a little bit under 30, started to degrade, which is very bad. 2022, we saw a bump up. Then it came back down. The reason those are relevant people is because oftentimes those highs and lows become support levels in both directions, right? So when that top kind of held and sank back down, intuitively, like for projection bases, so there's a whole other episode I was talking to John about using graphs opposed to uh, three-year averages and stuff. There you go. There's the graph you, I got. Kind of, oh, look at that. Oh, that's amazing. Right. So you end up with this kind of rectangle, right? You end up with this rectangle between 2022 and 23. And then what ends up happening, this is perfect. This is like a lesson in technical analysis. The bottom in 2023 essentially matched the earlier bottom in 2021. So a rise off that was to be expected. However, when we went through the old top, it could be expected that the that same level could become a new bottom, right? So you have a rectangle. You expect rectangular action. Once you break through the top of the rectangle, that's like when we talk about breakouts and stuff, it's funny because coming from trading, I would hear these terms like, oh, like they're speaking my language. Where sometimes the people would just say like, they just use the term breakout. But there is like a, let's say mathematical, but there is like a actual objective description of this thing, right? So if you had a box and you get a breakout, your expectation is you're going to stack a box on top of that box. Mm-hmm. The old high will become the new bottom, which is kind of what we've seen. Yep. So my expectation now, which I think is, is reasonable, is we're going to see a run back up. Yep. Now, again, it's very tough to, to the top of 60 is like, I mean, it's like a, he like a pure that's a pure pull approach, right? Yep. So again, there's a chance now that we settle inside. Is it'll almost be like taking that same graph and post pay copy pasting it above itself. Mm-hmm. And that's almost what I'm expecting. So if we get that kind of contact with a newfound pull rate, because it really is something to be able to make these changes without making sacrifices otherwise. I, you know it's funny, you and this is not so much like we were going back and forth, but you and Ryan. I think this was a counterpoint thing. You and Ryan mentioned when Austin Riley was experiencing his breakout, doubting the batting average, right? You guys have been vocal about that. My counter was similar to this stuff, that there were underpinning improvements 
without sacrificing contact, meaning he was cutting K-rate while improving contact. And like yep. these things were all kind of working together, which tells me maybe there's an approach change. So I think that's what we're getting here. I really like a Brian Hayes. Really, really like, I forgot how much I liked him. I wrote, I've started writing, you ever write about stuff and you put it on yep. the side, it's like on the whiteboard. Yep. I have some graphs stacked up and now I'm like super excited again. Yeah, yeah Brian there Hayes, you go. Yeah. Nope, Brian Hayes is a stud. So I'm glad we got to, uh, to hit on that one. Taylor had another question though, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this in your chart because I just like the price tag of one Christopher Morrell. Um, his ADP is about 200 right now. They flat out came out and said they're going to play him at third base. He's got second base. He's got outfield eligibility. He might gain second base and third base throughout the season. We know he's got the light tower power. We know he's also got some swing and miss in there. So when you break down Christopher Morrell, looking at <clears throat> all your sheets here, what are we seeing here? Is this a guy we should be optimistic at uh, pick 200 or are there concerns? Yeah, again, you know, it's disciplinary flaws. But again, I, I usually challenge people with, if if these numbers weren't so terrible, this guy would be going in the top 30 picks. Like, this, you know, he's got legit, I mean, legit, like legit, legit power. You could probably put him up to players that I don't think anybody would even think that he's near. You know, 42, 50 respective hard hit rates, 15 and a half barrel, double digit blast. 55 pull, 450 expected wobble on contact, 15 and a half pull five ball line drive per PA. Now, there's your answer why they're talking about forcing him into the lineup. Because it's legit. It's real. They see what this guy's doing. No one else does it. Now, he's kind of pushing my theory here. It does fall into the basket that I'm willing to accept. Right? Aggressive, 74 zone swing, 50 swing. Swing and miss, 31K, 17 swing and strike. Again, those are on the higher end, like pushing the viability. But the chase rate is is pretty good. You know what I mean? 32 chases, run of the mill. You you cannot – that's not something to worry about. No. So the idea is if I'm going to place these kind of theories down, then I have to go for it. It's funny. Um, Erickson's always – Famous for that, right? Battle testing your rankings, all right? Like, yep. you write this stuff. Do you actually believe in it? Do you yeah. actually draft that? I was worried about PT. Where that knocked him, Casey, it killed me, bro. Yep. Because I wasn't getting any of them. People like him. Yep. Because the, the stats are jumping off the page. Yep. I, I kept telling myself, it's only December. You wait till Ballinger signs, and then you'll... Yeah. No, well, it's a freaking Valentine's Day passed. Yep. And, yeah. I, and now yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm without a player that I like. Because, because I'm, I'm, my worry is if Bellinger returns that he could fall, not out of favor, but again, those kind of flaws, you know. Well, here, here, here's here's my thing to here's my thing to maybe make you feel better. Would you rather have Christopher Morrell at third base with his bat, or would you rather have some you know let's hit three hundred guy that does nothing because that's what they're that's what they're that's what they're throwing out there right now in Chicago, and um, I think that's the big conundrum. That's why I think Morrell comes out on top because like right now you got Nick Madrigal projected to be hit third base. That ain't it. You're muted. You're muted. No, no, no. That's right. I was hiding vomiting sounds. Yeah, no, we can't do that. You can't do that. What are we waiting for? I guess it was like what like a wisdom? Are we waiting for like a Mervis? And this stuff just hasn't really this never happens. Like, it just hasn't panned out. Although Thank you, Patrick Wisdom. You know, he's, he's sent me down to Disneyland before, so I appreciate yes, it. No, yeah. I'm this guy played through it. Just a guaranteed home run. Just guaranteed. Well, here's a fun one for you because Jake Berger didn't have any any prop bets out yet. 
there's no one on the burger market, apparently. I looked at DK, I looked at underdog, nothing. I, I, got, I got DK Sportsbook up here from Morello over under 26 and a half home runs. The, oh. over, the over tastes great on that one to me. No, that's a, my only beef with these. I know it's not a betting show. I'm weary of future bets that are minus 110. That's fair. Because I got to hang my money up for like six months. And like, I'm just not that I'm not crazy about. Although I feel, I feel very, very strongly about that. I feel like somebody didn't, maybe it might have been Amarante. Didn't somebody tweet about like differences, home run differences with, oh, Derek Hardy is only projecting 25. Yep. Interesting how, though this probably speaks wisdom of the crowd, people that have their questions, it probably has something to do with these projections, right? That, 100%. Dude, I, I'm that, but right, your all of a sudden your Vegas line is like right there. Here exactly. we are. We're like firmly. I'm firmly over. Yeah, like I'm firmly. I'm firmly over. Especially without Bellinger in the way. Where is this guy's playing, man? Right. Yep, I'm with you. Couple comments from the chat here. Dave Funnel says I learned something every time I listen to John, and I love oh, Hayes' really second hard. half. I think a lot of the surge was health related. He was able to do more. People check out Dave on Twitter. His injury stuff daily is pretty darn amazing. Must B-shot. follow on Twitter. Also, must follow yeah, Dave. You're B-shot. must follow. B shot says Hayes for MVP is plus eighteen thousand. You can get Ooh, it. That was going all over. That was going all over Twitter yesterday. That was that was a fun <laughs> one. Um, some more listener questions here from Twitter. Michael Chikini says a few that jump out to me looking at bad X projections. Tyler O'Neill is almost equal to Bellinger in the projections. Do you buy it for either or both? They have O'Neill equal to Bellinger essentially on the bat X. Okay, well I know for a fact. I'm I'm out on Bellinger. It's a it's a little it's too flawed. At, I mean, at the when, price, when all of your pulled all your home runs were pulled. That's a little little much for me. I mean, it's it's funny for a guy. Yeah, I guess I guess we could start with him. It's he, he has a reputation for like a power bat, and for me, it just doesn't it doesn't really hold up to the scrutiny. Now, granted, the disciplinary gains are are awesome, right? I mean, you're paying for this stuff. 29 hard hit fan graphs, 31 on Savant, a 352 expected Woba on contact. 109 max EV last season. This is all really poor. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, broke a record. He's going to have a power floor that he's consistently going to tap into because the pull fly ball rate is, is nuts, right? It's absolutely nuts. 17% is one of the highest. In the league. But there's issues. You know, like, I don't... I, I, he's probably... Man, he's he's probably one of the guys that gets... Ex, not to expose the most, because I actually think he, maybe that just makes him, like, the exception to the rule we were talking about. Stickiness, and I want to make sure that I'm consistent in my analysis. But I've always got the major pull rate. Shouldn't be chasing that. But the underpinning stuff is not there. Like, he's just not... He's not hitting it hard enough consistently enough for me. XBA is encouraging. He chases a bit. Tons of infield flies. I think that has to do with the swing with that he's always playing with also, which I'm not like crazy about. You know, I like guys that go to improve, go to driveline, whatever, but I don't like players openly like, yeah, I, me, I constantly change stuff every week. So Bellinger is a little too inconsistent for me. Again, with the price. <laughs> Tyler O'Neill, man, I don't know. I don't know. I've chased it before, and I've gotten burned every single time. Right? Every time. We've seen bottoms fall out. 
with the discipline, which again seems to have like totally corrected. He was one of, if not the most profitable players. We bet on, I don't know if you saw this, we were betting on under strikeouts a lot last year. DK introduced that to the market. Yep. And they didn't, not, they were not pricing it correctly. They were using three year averages. Like you could do the math, like you saw the projections, you could see it. They were matched. But we know from like Eno's work and Pete Scott's work, stabilization happens sooner than that. Yep. So Tyler O'Neill was like plus, he would literally be plus 280 every day to not strike out. And it was running off entire weeks where he wouldn't strike out. So I do believe in some of the skill would change. Yep. We know the power is really, really good. Mm-hmm. The pull rate is good, but not great. So I think there's some love there, but man, I worry about the the injury stuff. Is that's the, that's the that's the thing. If you can stop the injuries, now, don't we, we just, it's been coming up on Twitter. We may have some PA concerns. I know no one wants to hear it about their ADP says ADP says roster resource says. I, I understand they're being dictated to by absolute authorities. Like, I understand, that. but isn't there a world where flawed players who are not great on defense like can find the bench sometimes? Right? Have we? we it feels like. Duran, they said, every day. We're hearing uh, Rafaela could be making the open day roster as an outfielder. Well, that would make me. She is supposed to DH every day. We're kind of we're running. I thought I thought Abreu was going to be a starter. Maybe he's the big loser here. I'm not sure. Yeah, there's, there's, there's possibility play PAs are a threat. There's a lot of moving parts. It feels like with this Boston situation because. You know, they come out and they say Duran's going to be the everyday leadoff hitter, but the, two days before that, they were trying to trade him to San Diego. So that that could be interesting for one. Uh, there, there's a lot of ways to kind of look at Boston and see avenues to success, also see avenues to these young players not coming up. I love uh, Brayu and Rafaela. Um, if you look at Mr. Mike Curlin's, um, you know, playing MLB playing time site, he still has Tyler O'Neill playing every day. Uh, in right field, he has Abreu playing versus um, right-handed pitching and sending. Uh, no, he's fine there. And then he's got uh, Abreu sitting. He basically has Rafael on the minors. That's what it comes down to. So, right. So but, I've been using this again. I've been shouting everybody out left and right, but let's do it. You know, uh, all fitting too. Doctor Dave put me onto the best injury website. Uh, hopefully, I don't know if you if you haven't seen this, I'm about to change your game. I you think I have. Yes. Sports transactions. I don't know if yes. you've ever used it before. Holy hell! I've been waiting my whole life for something like this. Right, that that tracks every time a day is missed to injury and not just IL stuff. Man, Tyler O'Neill has too long an injury history for too short a career so far. Just from the middle of last year, it's all because he shouldn't have two pages worth. Right shoulder impingement, strained left hamstring. Leg injury, stiff neck, left hamstring, strain lower back, left knee injury, left knee injury, left knee injury. Remember, these are the, those are the injuries, Bry, that yep. they've kind of fall by the wayside, right? Because he missed five games. We want to know if he missed five games. I forget who it was. There's another player I just wrote up the other day that had three or four stints of missed games that weren't IL stints, but they're there. Mm-hmm. So people go, he, kind of made through without injury. And then on September 17th, the sprained right ankle foot took him out for the season. This is Tyler O'Neill. So a lot, a lot of injuries. He misses time all the time, all the time. I hate nailing guys for injury prone. We know that's kind of fool's gold. 
Yeah. But again, right, when we start stacking up enough, enough risk, his flaws, his challenges. I like him, but I'm worried, man. I've been trying to get into an underdog that, like, if he breaks out, maybe he'll just carry me. I that's where I have a few shares of Tyler O'Neill. I'm flat out. I, I have him paired with like a Devers and a Duran or something. Like as a little Boston stack, you throw O'Neill on top, and I hope they they break out. I'm with you very there. Sharp, by the way. It's cheap, really sharp. Yeah, it's very cheap. Uh, Two sixteen. ADP and OCs. It's tempting just for the fact we talk about because like, I'm with you. Everyone says outfield's deep, and like, yeah, it's deep if you like guys after you know the first 30 that don't play every day. Yeah, sure, it's deep. If you guys want guys that play every day, it's not a deep position. And O'Neill could be one of those later guys again, could based on injuries where you really see a path to playing time. So it depends on your risk reward and what you yeah. want to do in a 15 team Captain league. Jack also, right? Yeah, I love Captain Jack. You know, yeah, right there is I actually like Taylor Ward, who's right there. I actually like Jack Sawinski, who's right there, literally right next to each other. Yep. And it's, it's funny. I was talking about how I thought outfield was shallow. This is like the pocket that I've been cleaning up the, the back end of it with, my outfield of fours and fives. And I've just been going the other direction. But, yeah, I don't want to sour Neil because I, I, I think there's potentially a huge season there, right? We've seen five-by-five five output. Somebody mentioned a, the shoulder injury. Yeah, Nob mentioned the shoulder injury. And he's put up big stats since. So, I don't, again, we don't want to throw the baby out with, with the bathwater. It's you know it's been there. Thirty six, forty three, hard hit splits, twelve and a half barrel, seven blast, sub four hundred x con. I mean it's it's still well above average, but yep. you can see where I have concerns for sure. Um, Chikini also wants to know Suzuki versus Taylor Ward. Say yes, Suzuki. Suzuki. I love I love Suzuki. You just mentioned yeah, Taylor fill, Ward. Fill the bus to me for a second. Yeah, well, basically what he's asking here is because they have similar projections, but going massively different in the, in the ADP world. Suzuki is a top 100 pick. Uh, he's, he's actually actually down to 110. He's 110, where you mentioned Ward's going um, at a different ADP. He's 236. So we're talking 126 pick different. The thing with Ward, people saw the, the, the kind of fallback last year. A lot of that was due to getting hit in the face and never coming back to feeling uh, normal. Where Suzuki had the slow start to the season, finished very strong. We saw the guy we think he could be. I know I like Saya this year to kind of have a big season, but you mentioned the kind of with Ward. If he gets over the fear of getting hit in the face with a fastball, which would scare the crap out of me probably for the rest of my life, um, then he could return great value at 236. So, what are you thinking on these two that are projected similarly, but getting drafted far apart? You know, yeah, right. I mean, it's okay to like Saya a lot more than like Taylor Ward because he's going 100 picks earlier mm-hmm. but that is probably a pretty good endorsement of taylor ward yeah. right if we can even mention him in the same breath i have personally have not been able to get to say so i had, was a heavy say a drafter last year because people were kind of uncertain and despite being good but not great right 285 is really nice 75 74 runs of ribbies 26 homer steals i guess people are seeing i've got very strong disciplinary profile he fits in another bin that we haven't mentioned yet where the strikeout rate is good the walk rate is good the swinging strike and chase are excellent i mean eight swinging strike 23 and a half oh swing is excellent he's just a little too patient maybe even say he's he's way too patient so say suzuki 41 percent swing 62 and a half zone swing or well below average. Again, I'm able to reference this because I have the sheet do the work for me, everybody. It's the best mm-hmm. nine you're not in the world. You know, to just be able to parse through this stuff and how it compares with the rest of the league all at once. Control F is your friend. I wonder if this is a good graph to bring up. I haven't looked at it myself. 
if the swing decisions, if the aggressive nature upticked throughout the season. And I wonder if that was the reason for the for it. Like, and again, this in real time would be just ultimate validation for drafting Suzuki if we could tie his uptick in production to a forward step in aggression, then this guy's going to go absolutely nuts. He's going to go nuts this year because there is just an absolute, absolute ton, ton to like. Again, you know, it's just funny. Uh, the line drive, line drive rate elevated. We know one of the first things I had to learn the hard way as an analyst was the line drive rate is not sticky and be careful quoting it. However, when, again, it happens in accordance with a very tight launch angle spray, right, standard deviation of launch angle, the mouthful stat, his, again, first year in the league to combine, right, plus 22 line drive, sub-27 SDLA with 11 average launch angle. These are all really, really good. Mm-hmm. He also had a sub-50% homer to barrel rate. Something that I believe that's one of the things like we mentioned stickiness. I know this didn't really necessarily fall into that. That's a place where I believe in. Um, I'm not the biggest regression guy. I don't mean to see that. It's just I think a lot of times people fall on it automatically. This number is too high, therefore regression. Where I want a little more. That number is almost like automatically regressing. Show me a guy. I don't know if it works to the high end, right? We talked about that. I think if you, it might have been Bellinger. It was. Bellinger was, was like that. There's a few people. Anyway, to the low end, I expect regression. So I think you could expect a step up in power. Again, with all the kind of solid contact rates on base with a couple of steals, I think you could also expect more playing time, right? He's going to play every day. They didn't bring him here for nothing. Bellinger out of his way should be a green light for him totally. Yeah, you got to love the say stuff. You got to love it. And then Ward, I just think Ward's going too late. I think people are yeah. are off him because injuries. I think I might even hurt someone called injury prone, and it's like, do I hit in the face with a ball? You hit in the face with a ball. That's where I need I need to step back because I, I just look at his you know recent production, and I need to step back and go. The dude got hit in the face with a baseball. Like that's going to slow everybody down. If he can bounce back to who he was, he's going way too late. Yeah, that you see again. Why I think one of the maybe most undersung parts of your analytical game. Bob, is you bring in that that real element that we know exists, mm-hmm. right? So that's a real, like that's a real thing that we're going to struggle to quantify. That if you ignore, like you're kind of foolish, right? So for me, like the right, like Silva was there, the uh, Evan Silva, the spreadsheet socialist is like that's me. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I get it. I'm stat dance, I'm analytically driven. Like I live with the spreadsheet in my pocket. Like I absolutely get it. You can't ignore that. From what I understand, though, they, you know, those are the things though that you. You can learn about on podcasts and reports and stuff. For what I understand, everything is a go, right? This is another guy that has it. I mean, he has an excellent, excellent disciplinary basket. It might be better than Suzuki because where he might chase a couple ticks more, he has a 91% zone contact. So then when you pair that, again, let's let's tie in some of the other lessons we did. Again, all hail the sheet. 43% fly ball. But, 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 7% infield fly. So this guy is not getting beat up in the zone. A lot of the players you'll notice with 44% fly ball rates, they come with double-digit or worse, well, not triple-digit, but, you know, 12, 13, infield fly. 
This guy does not do that at all. Paired, 43% hard hit. You know, the XBA is there. Double-digit pulled power rate. So I'm into Taylor Ward, and again, my playing time being king. No one is challenging this guy for playing time. The Angels, no, they, I, I hate putting the car before the horse with teams because we know they can impress sometimes, but I think they're going to stink, man. I really yep. do. And I, yeah. I really think the Angels are going to stink. So if he's yeah. top third. THP knob in the in the chat saying, well, who's he going to drive in? He's all, they should be decent, but not great. So we're kind of on the same page there. He's yeah, first. but they do. Come on. I mean, not for nothing. Yeah. It's, again, it's not to say it's invalid. That was part of the argument against Bobby Witt. Like, the, the rules are terrible. Yeah. And they guess what? They were terrible. They were terrible. And all the good players got hurt. And he still knocked them in. It's baseball. And, like, it happens. They're not – and I don't just don't think they're that, that bad. I, I know they're bad. What I was – had my antenna up was this may be – a shift in projections that I don't know has happened yet. I thought he was going to lead off. They already said Schnuel is going to, yep. which sounds like some kind of Brooklyn thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, it's like a little gabagool for Schnuel. A little gabagool for Schnuel. Yeah. You got to get that Schnuel. Exactly. I was dying when I heard somebody say it like that. It's too funny. But from what I understand, he's going to lead off, yep. which I guess, I mean, maybe puts Ward in the two or three. So like, Curlin has Ward hit in third or fourth, depending lefty versus right, or righty, right there in the middle of the order. Third, Third or fourth, I guess we have to. Who's up there? It's not. It's not Rendon, is it? No, he's got uh, against. Oh, Drury right, and Trout, right? Okay. Against righties, Trout and Ward. Against lefties, it's Rengifo, Trout, Drury, Ward. Well, and, man, another good lesson. Hat tip for Curl, and he's doing excellent work. And it's not to say I believe he's right or roster resources right, but it is important to kind of understand almost right the hard hit. Which hard hit rate are we looking at? What yeah. lineup are you looking at? Roster resource has Ward batting fifth, Rengifo leading off. Like, yeah. and again, Ball not saying that that's right. But one, they said Schnuel was going to lead off. Yeah. And two, that perception greatly should change your projections. Where I was going with Ward is, and I may like this, you bump into two or three, I think you balance out runs and ribbies a little more. Yep. I mean, and yep. it was going to some Mike Trout. I mean, I don't know. Well, let's I, look I mean, at it this way. Let's look at it this way, John. If he's at an ADP at 236, say he hits 22 homers, maybe I'm overestimating there. Say 22. I'm not even looking at projections, just speculating. 22 homers. And say he combines for 170 plus runs in RBIs, he's paying off his price tag, and we know this. We know that's like a there's there's a ceiling toward on that one, dude. There's a there's something to be said as I'm getting older and more into this, and for Roto in particular, mm-hmm. balance, yeah. just balance. And if you want to use the fill thing, I think I need 50 hours. The, the keep your options open is the most is one of the most resonating statements that there is. You you're building this especially in 15-team, where every team is flawed. So you're trying to build something really heavy on something really imbalanced. And you're going to be at a loss somewhere. So when you could just get somebody that won't kill you, and he checks the box I mentioned before, two hits, could happen. Last day to say, I need two hits, could happen. I need a steal, could happen. Need a ding-dong, could happen. That's like it, man. That's it. Just guys that you could – that's it. People say, set it, forget it, draft and forget it, but it's – a player that doesn't alter the path of your draft taking him, right? Because that, that's the killer with these guys that are so lopsided in one place. Taking one player automatically creates forks and blocks certain forks in a draft where, Ward, the price is there, the expectations are low. I, I honestly think 22 is uh, – Cardi's got 21, but only yeah. five and change PAs. There's no reason he doesn't get to the full complement again. Yeah. 
right? Not 700, but like 625. Yeah, he's not platooning. He's going to play every day. Right, right. Excellent. Very well put. 625 is in the cards. Where I think if you get 625, I think it's 24. And you could get double digit bands. It could could be 25 and 190 combined with handful of steals. And all of a sudden, huge profit. Huge, huge, huge profit. Huge, huge, huge profit. And like, that's how you win. These leagues, man, I learned such a crazy lesson after Judge came off that monster season. I forget who did it, the, the post. I really wish I could credit them, add them to today's list. But it was the unbelievably low percentage of teams that cashed with that Aaron Judge season. Oh, yeah. And it, like, blew my mind. because, And, again, it's not the not fantasy football, but there were, like, two or three players in a fantasy football draft. Yep. If you had one, playoffs. If you had two, championship. Just what it is. Yep. Where fantasy baseball is not like no, that. No, it's you need all twenty-three pieces plus a bench plus more waiver wire throughout the season. Work. Yeah. Right. It's, so it's I so had much. this incredible. I had an incredible season last year to win that league. And you almost it it feels weird because going through the ranks and stuff, I keep finding I have all these like, man, I we hit on this last year, we hit on this last year, we hit on this last year. But it takes that. You know, it really takes that. So. Where does that lead into the boring conversation of it's just totally unnecessary to like do any kind of reaching. It's totally unnecessary to put career years on people on none of that. And especially when you're paying for it, you know, it's fine to think broke might happen. Don't pay for it. Well, that, that's why the conversation is all oh, people. If, if we get the first pick, you get a coon you win. And that's not true. That's not true in this format. Like, does it help you? Oh, hell yeah, it does. Like, there's no doubting that. But like Phil so even pointed out. Yeah, that's a cool that, that, that more teams, I think, won leagues because of pitchers they took in rounds like 20 through 30, which makes a ton of sense if you've drafted enough of these leagues, than just taking Ronald Acuna. Like, yep. there's so many more pieces of the puzzle than that. So, uh, unlike football, like you mentioned in the old days, if you had Lentanian Tomlinson in the old days, you just championship, just, just hoist it now. Like, you got him. So, uh, there's all those fun little things in, in those conversations. Yeah, love that. All right. Uh, the last one from Chikini here. Uh, Matt McClain's projections are much higher than Zach Geloff's, yet their stat cast numbers, uh, K percentages, etc., are close to Geloff. Like McClain and Geloff are close in those regards, yet McClain is much you know, projected higher, getting drafted higher, so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on the, the Geloff McClain maybe situation? Geloff swings and misses a ton. I'll get ahead of that already because I'm a team Geloff guy, but. There is a massive uh, concern there, but there's also a ton of power in Zach Geloff. So, <laughs> if there of- was like a single player that I could say was a league winner for me last year, it would be Zach Geloff. Uh huh, 100%. You know, I, and, I and, right? You hate, and it's not because, right? You didn't even draft him. He only played a little bit of the season. It's just the timing and the, the way the production happened every single week. Right, if we look at the weekly report on on NFC, once the picket fence all the way down, Homer Steel, one, 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 every week, one, 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 tweeting about this guy on a 40 40, you know, 600 PA pace. It was just really, really crazy stuff. Let's take a look. Okay, McLean, I caught a little bit, not to heat, because I appreciate when people read my stuff and push back. I invite it. I caught a heat for Spider Man jiffing Matt McLean to Nolan Jones. They're the, it's I don't know if you could tell the stats apart. They're almost, they're like almost identical. So what does that mean? We're getting, you know, strikeouts without the chasing, which is good. Lack of aggression, which is bad, but something I think can be accounted for. The power, underpinning power stat, power stats for McLean are very good. 
but the pull power is totally lacked. Yep. Right. So I've heard people trying to put this huge power gain on him. I'm not sure if I'm there. Cardi's projecting 23 homers, 18 steals. That feels pretty good. He would have to be one of those players that got the everyday role. Right. I don't think I've gotten the McLean personally. Not that he's bad. And I think he plays every day. I think people are expecting more power than I am. Not to say it's full there, right? We could get it. But for what we got right now, I'm like anyone that's expecting 30, I'm not, I'm not there. Geloff is hard, man, for me because he's so good. Like you end up in a special place in your heart for these guys. Trust me, I'm with you. But he was so important. He was so important. Like, even though I won that league and I had to self-proclaim this great year, what do you think I won? You win home runs by uh, one, two home runs was five cat. It was five slots. Two steals was five slots. These things you win by the skin of your teeth on the last day. It's, it's unbelievable. I would think it was impossible had not living through it and having it happen consistently. Mm-hmm. Geloff, I don't know. It almost looks a little similar. Also, I hadn't put these guys together. The zone contact is an issue. Big he's time. aggressive, yep. but he doesn't chase a ton. So I'd call it palatable, but again, he's on that the lower bands of 75 zone contact, 16 swing and strike is an issue, right? I, I know I've done quite a bit of not hand-weaving, bad discipline way, but just trying to bridge where it's okay. Because again, right, we're in a game where walks yep. don't help. Like I, I don't and I, one of the one of the mistakes I made early on in Moto was coming from points, too many on-base guys that yep. don't hit for average. I'm like, yep. why am I bad? Like, how am I so bad? These teams, my players are really good, but they're not really good because they don't hit for average. Yep. So you have to think there's a floor, right? In particular, and this might be the thing that tips it. You mentioned this the other day. The counting stat floor is kind of scary. Yep. I'm one of the high, if not the, I might be the highest in America on the Oakland A's, which doesn't say much. In particular, the offense, but their struggle, man. It's a struggle bus. Yeah. I was trying to, I was brainstorming with Nando, trying to see if I could. I wanted to write like the 99th percentile outcome where they make the playoffs this year. And he was like, I don't, I don't even think, you know, like imagination <laughs> like that's a real thing. He's like, I don't think that's a real thing. Because <laughs> oh. so get off his tools, he, you know, the line drive rate is, is crazy good. Because again, the standard deviation is really good. Again, something that I think we should be looking for to validate the swing path stuff. So I believe in the consistency. You get good hard hits, double digit barrel. He does a ton of pulls. So again, I think, I think the floor is going to be there. He had 14 and 14 in a limited set. Yep. Cardi's got him for 17 and 19. I go higher than that. I think I'm a little bit higher. I think I'm a yeah. little bit higher. Cause again, it, again, you, you and I are very sympathetical with this stuff, but for people that are not as familiar, part of, talking about the A's is the assumption that there's no competition and it's everyday BAs and it's top third lineup. Right. I mean, and that makes a big difference. I know I wrote about it a little bit. Curlin's written about it because it was actually Rob Silver. Uh, we were like discussing something on Twitter. And I remember I ended up looking kind of stupid because, you know, just underestimating the weight of a lineup spot. And like, man, you know that if it's, it could be like four plate appearances a week, right? Just turns over an extra time on Monday, turned over an extra time Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. The leadoff guy ends up with a lot more plate appearances. So when you can put in a football term, projectable volume, right? We don't hear that a lot. I think Geloff has projectable volume. So I think he's a 2020 guy. 
Yep, I'm with you 100. percent The counting stats are scary. The counting stats where it sucks because like I always compare like Thyro Estrada and Geloth. Very similar players to me. I think Thyro's got 20, 30 upside. Geloth maybe 20, 25, 20, whatever. But the counting stats, even though the Giants are going to stink, Estrada's are still going to be better than Geloth, which is scary. And Estrada will hit for a better batting average than Geloth. Uh, yeah. So yeah. that's a big difference. But a lot of similarities in those two in the power speed department. Uh, we do have another listener one here in the chat. Randy Leeson says, you guys buying in on Nolan Jones this year. You kind of mentioned Nolan Jones for a second there. And it's a yeah. great question because right now you're paying for Nolan Jones. He's like, you know, Curlin, myself, and others had a ton of Jones last year because he was free in drafts uh, in, in DCs and then off the waiver wire. But right now you got to pay an ADP of 48 and a half in online championships. Uh, the guy went 20-20 in 100 games. So I quote unquote, oh, let's project out for a full season. Um, that's not <laughs> how things work, of course. But uh, a lot of people are saying, well, you can go 30-30 or whatever. Um, what's your thoughts on Nolan Jones? Because the hit tool is good. Massive Babbitt guy, which plays in that ballpark. Uh, maybe maybe not going to sustain it, but plays in that ballpark. But uh, maybe not the power guy we all think also. So what's your thoughts with Nolan Jones? Yeah, he's Matt McClain. You know, like I said, so they're almost quite literally almost identical. I mean, it's it's un, it's really kind of uncanny. Um, this is Jones, then McLean. Strikeout 29-7, 28-5, zone swing 58-6, 59-4, swing percentage 41-5, 41-9. I mean, the stuff is just they're right, they're right on top of each other. I would say one, you know, Jones probably a little bit. Better as far as contact quality goes. So I think that's a little bit of a boost. But he also suffers from the lack of pull. They both have great ballparks, which is going to kind of help float the BABIPs that they're going to need. I mean, again, the BABIP 3, almost 401 and 385. Right. So we've heard so much about knowledge. Gosh, uh, it was. Oh, it might have been. been, Oh, it was Bloom, but I think that was actually. Alonzo, he tweeted about the historically low Alonzo Babip. Someone tweeted about the historically high, man, it might have been Tuma. It was one of the friends of the show. Yep. And like, the Babip was like the, you know, whatever, third high since World War II or something absurd. It's like one of those stats where you're like, one of those like Tungsten O'Doyle, you know, tweets where you have, obviously have to worry about that stuff, but the ballpark is going to help to float it. The big yeah. differentiator is I probably have Jones over McLean. They're going right next to each other. Yep. Jones, a little bit better with the with the walks, yep. though he's a little bit worse in the zone. The power stuff is through the roof for him. You know, 466 X Wobacon, 16 barrel opposed to 11, 11 blast opposed to 6, 40 hard hit opposed to 33 BIS. So that's probably where Jones gets a nod. I forget who we were mentioning. It was Josh Lowe. Josh so Lowe. from stylistically. Very similar breath, approaches, it feels like. Yeah, yeah they, I feel... Similarly to Josh Lowe in that it's toolsy, it's five-by-five production, it's not going to bust, I think you're paying a premium. That, again, you're not going to profit on every single pick, but I think it'll, it's not going to kill you. But there are flaws, and I feel like it doesn't fit the ideal plan. Like, for that price pick, I could have went earlier outfield, and then with the pivot to the pitchers, right, wink, wink, that's what I like here. This is where I'm, I'm feasting on all the pitching. I don't – as much as I like Strider and Cole and Burns, I don't think the disparity of the 2v2 works out. And that's why I'm – I'd rather get the early outfielder, the pitcher in this spot, 
than the early pitcher and then have to go Josh Lowe or Nolan Jones. Yep, that's totally fair on that one. Two more here in the chat. Uh, John Russell said he asked on Twitter for deep leagues and just my David Dahl love. Will we see him take the 200-ish at-bats from Jake Cave and help revive his career in Philly? He's only 29. We've all loved David Dahl. He's not even on the 655. It says a lot already, folks. Um, I checked. I already did the search. It's not there, um, and rightfully so. Um, it's a minor league deal for Dahl. Cave does not have a minor league deal. Cave has to really struggle for this to happen. I'm just going to go that and keep it simple. Do you have anything else on David Dahl potentially taking I didn't, Is David stuff? Dahl, like, a, is he around? Talk, I mean, it's funny you mention it. That's one of my – one of my all-time kind of great flops, right? You kind of you're not those. alone on that. Many of us, I think, were kind of like, "Oh, David Dahl, this is this totally makes sense." And uh, but I, I, I did it more than once too. Yeah, right. He was supposed to come back, and it was the same. Those obliques, right? It was right. It's like a core yep. injury swinging. That'll kill you, man. Those yep. core injuries. So, <laughs> Cave, believe it or not, Cave is actually on the sheets. He's actually on the sheets. He now. should be on so the sheets. He yeah. had G, right. I think I cut it off at fifty. Oh, maybe twenty PS. So he had two hundred plate appearances, which I didn't realize. Um, he was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I think the strikeout rate is probably going to come down. Right, the eighty-seven zone contact, average chase rate, good swing rates are a lot better than the twenty-seven percent K rate would suggest even though it was a small set. I mean, listen, he puts the ball in the air, the power not really there, and there's no pull. So it's a lot of fly balls without the infield flies, which we like. But the problem is when your hard hit rates are 32 and 34 with a 34% pull at a 8% pull fly ball rate, yeah, it's not going to do it. I don't I don't think it's there. Yeah. They seem to really like this guy, Rojas. That's funny. Rojas is very good. I have to move yeah. him up. He's Yo, very Rojas good. Ranks. I have to move him up. Yeah, I got to move him up. I like him. And plus with Whit Merrifield coming in there now, I can play outfield and infield. Yeah, that's another like, good one. And K- K- and Dollar. Be back too. Yep. Yeah. And he's so good. Just, he's very good. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's, gonna be, it's gonna be tough for tough for those two for sure. Um, our buddy here, Adam Reckamp says, thoughts on Alex Verdugo and Yankee Stadium. I've been drafting him a ton late in drafts. Uh, if you believe in Mike Curlin's work here, let's just put it this way. He's got Verdugo platooning with the Yankees. <laughs> uh, he has him facing right-handed pitching and sitting versus lefties. That's still to be determined. But what are your thoughts on Verdugo, the guy that just basically has the most boring floor you can find and has not really hit a ceiling in a long time? Yeah, Bloomy's just killed me, man. Ryan, you yeah. are like, my yeah. This guy Ryan Bloomfield just jumped in here. He said almost two hours <laughs> in, and you guys are talking David Dahl. This is electric, electric stuff. Yeah, electric yeah. stuff going on. Yeah, that's what we're here All for. All right. Um, I know Verdugo is with my you know precious Highlanders now, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not there. I'm not there. You know what? I feel like once Boston moves on, there's like, your red flag. Yeah. You know he has kind of Benintendi vibes. Yep. Like vanilla. And this is from somebody who's my, my favorite ice cream flavor is vanilla. But there's a difference between like slow churn stuff that has this real vanilla bean opposed to like, you know, hydrogenated vanilla flavored stuff. And that's what I feel like you're getting. It's just not, I, I, you know, I was talking about balance, but I'm not even sure that's there. Right. Cause it's the speed, the speed worries me. The approach is fantastic. I don't know why he's so insanely patient. I mean, he's got one of the lowest zone swing rates and swing rates like in the league. But that's – it's different. When you don't swing, but when you do swing, you're elevating balls and hitting them to the moon. That's when we say, okay, man, maybe patience is a virtue for you. 
This is a guy who doesn't swing, but when he does, puts a ball on the ground 45% of the time. 37% of the time, it's at 95 miles an hour. 5% barrel, sub-2 blast, 38% pull. Now, he's a little bit of one of those exceptions because he he does have a double-digit pulled fly ball elevated rate, which is like the average side. But there's no power to speak of. You still got to get it out. So I'm kind of off. If you're not going to run, I mean, I guess he might hit for a good average, but they're not talking about batting him up top. That has not been – That has not been the order. Bottom of the order, potential platoon. Yeah, and it's his – yeah, I would think – I mean, for whatever reason, they're they're still talking about DJ LeMayhew, which, again, I – dude, Yankee fan, lo, like my son's nursery is like pinstriped. You know, it's like the memorial back there inside a field. I don't understand them sometimes, you know. LeMayhew is probably going to get a chance to lead off. If not, there's the Volpe project is still ongoing, right? He's probably – because we've heard – Verdugo, like, lead off or could work his way there. I actually don't think that happens. I think he's maybe the third in line for a leadoff spot in New York. I just don't see it happening. I mean, what is he? Who is he going around? I guess I'm not – I'm just skipping over his name. I mean, it's 300. I guess he's going around backup. So he's going next to – I'd rather have Matt Waller and Jose Siri, the two guys he's next to. So that tells me I'm out. I'd rather have either one of those guys. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And uh, it's deep, 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 deep leagues, he's in He's in the radar, but not, not yeah, many fab leagues from me. I mean, but yeah. he's a baseball player. He's he, he puts a jersey on for 162 he games. He puts a really early, he's put a really ugly jersey on. Yeah. Yeah, a nasty like stripes and the whole thing. It's crazy. The Yankees one might have horizontal stripes this year. Who knows? Yeah, well, Nike had their ways. You never know. Um, Dude, yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They. It's funny because I'm like the last person to kind of complain about this stuff. It's not, I'm. I'm hardly into like contracts and all, all that stuff. I I was shocked. I was shocked like that. Yep. The quality is so poor. It looks. It's, it's, it, they let the money talk before they could see if the S could walk. Um, <laughs> all right. Look at those cheap imitations of oh, it looks like spelled wrong. It looks like something the poor kids in Africa get when the team loses the Super Bowl or something. Like they got the yeah, alternates. But those this, are at least of like high, nice yeah. quality. Yeah, but that's what it feels like. Like these are the hand, these, these are like the hand me downs you got as a kid. Like okay, cool, this is awesome. Like bad, the Chico's bail bonds looked better than this. <laughs> You know, for us growing up in New York, yeah, um, as kids, the the greatest disgrace that you could have was if you had the parent that didn't know any better and bought you a Yankee jersey that had the name on it. Oh, because you knew so that they that was always funny. Have. The Yankees were always the exception. If you had a team that had the name on it, the bootleg jerseys didn't have the name, so you had to like go get the name. The Yankee jerseys, because there's no name, they put the name on the thing just to deprive you of the authenticity. But that's, that's when it's like it's just. I'm like, I, I thought they were maybe batting practice jerseys or spring training jerseys, and they're not. Maybe they'll come and fix it, but like, weird that players are complaining about it too. You know? Yep. Yep. All right. David Dahl and Robbie Ray's pants. We're, we're out here. We're out. Yep. Yep. That, we're going to wrap it up on that note, Mr. Johnny Legesa. I appreciate you joining me. Before we head out, plug away, let everybody know where they can find you and all that good stuff. All right. That was just an hour and a half, you know, advertisement for myself. So you're getting a ton of that stuff. You know, the, everything's on Twitter, at John Legaza, J-O-H-N-L-A-G-H-E-Z-Z-A. It'll streamline you. It is the pin tweet. I like to think it's a pretty good follow for free. You know, I put out a lot of info and stuff. And, again, the 10 box gets you access to the data sheets we've been referencing, the write-ups we've been referencing, and then plus CSV formats of the ranks, uploadable underdog stuff, and a weekly wave wire email. That's, like, entirely too much of me. 
Yeah. Well, it, it's it's the way to go. Uh, thank oh, you. Oh, Carlos for, is in the chat. Yeah, Carlos look, is in the chat. Two of the Carlos, great best friends, forced to do battle. Yeah. We are, uh, you know, competing for the right of the year. I would the series of the year. It'll be my pleasure to lose this gentleman. I hope, he's up for a right of the year. I think also he's got a couple of award nominations. Carlos, Carlos Marcano is amazing. Fans. Amazing human being. And the podcast is really good too. Man. Yep, he's, he's 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 due to be on my show again here pretty soon. I'm talking some specs and whatnot. So looking forward to that. Well, oh, great but, stuff. You know, man, we talk about people adding their own like. Yep. Right. It's like the uh, the the foil ball in. Yeah, he keeps adding on to it. I got my piece of foil. You got your yeah. piece of foil. I love that. Everybody, we're just making this thing. It's so beautiful, man. It oh, is, you, it's, it's such an important part of the the best part of the fantasy community. Hundred percent with you. Completely agree on that one. So go check out all these wonderful people. The chat, you guys are awesome today. Keep coming with the fun on these shows. As we always say, I'm Bubba in the Bloom and Bench with Bubba. We will cater to you guys. So come join the fun. And until next time, this was Bench with Bubba, episode six fifty six. Catch y'all next time.